Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to the DOG. Uh, today we have uh, some pretty interesting topics for you. But first, uh, to start the uh, the D or to continue the DOG tradition of drinking, uh, this week on Bartender Weekly, we have a special whiskey for you. The whiskey itself is the Balmore Islay Single Malt Scotch Whiskey Black Rock. That's racist. It, that's racist. <laughs> Well, it. I mean, eh, it could be. It could be. Why has it got to be a black rock? I don't know. White you know rocks don't hold heat. I don't know what it is. I don't know, man. All black right. Rock. I was starting to like this thing until you called it, you know, it's it a black rock. Yeah. Well, we are the offensive gentlemen, so <laughs> if you're just now getting that, mm, you might want to find another podcast to follow. Yeah. So uh, a little bit about the whiskey itself. Uh First, uh, the uh, matured in the finest sherry and bourbon cast, Balmore Black Rock is a true product of its environment, exhibiting the natural influences of, influences of both the land and the sea, which surround the small island. One moment you will discover a peaty smokiness, the next a sea salt tang. All right. Then also they break it up uh, by what you see, what you smell, what you taste, and then the aftertaste, which I thought was really interesting. So uh, on the eye, it's a dark amber color. When you breathe it in, it's a classic Balmore smokiness infused with raisins, pepper, warm cocoa beans, and burnt orange. Uh, you sip it, and you taste a rich sherry and peat smoke followed by black currant, treacle toffee, and cinnamon spice. And you savor kind of the aftertaste would be a beautifully balanced peat smoke and sea salt, which I definitely like. I, I like the it's not overwhelming, but it's a nice balance. Yeah, well, so um, unfortunately, like with most Islay whiskeys with me, I am not really that big of a fan of peatiness. So this is going to be an interesting thing for me. Well, you're already in like your third class. So, so obviously it's not that big of a deal for you. All right. So the thing is, it's not that it's, um, I'm going to drink it because it's wet and it's alcohol and it's whiskey. I will not waste whiskey, but I am not really a fan of the penis. And that's kind of the reason why we have the, uh, the, the coffee chocolates to go with it to help with the taste, um, <clears throat> at least from my standpoint. Weak, son. Weak. Hey. Don't need chocolate to cover up the taste of whiskey. Well, I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm trying to complement it. I'm oh, trying, to, oh. trying to mix the flavors. Oh, and oh now you're trying to get sophisticated. I am. I told you, man. Every time I drink scotch, man, I feel sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. So also, uh, so that's a little bit about the whiskey that we have. Um, as in also the custom, we are going to uh, to have a toast. And it is my turn to have the uh, the toast. I toast to may the best of your past be the worst of your future. Cheers. Cheers. You know you're supposed to toast before we start drinking too, right? Oh, we're way past that point, bro. <laughs> we've been we've been prepping we, and drinking for about an hour now. We 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 toast for the podcast. Yeah, we do. We need to bring that that art back. It's toasting. all for show, folks. It's well, all for show. Well, and the whole podcast is for show, but bringing back the art of the toast should you know something to be done. I just want to make those things that we want to make sure we preserve because it's good. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very good tradition. It uh it builds camaraderie. 
right? Um, it actually has a huge um, historical precedent and uh, significance, which I think we could probably do a very long uh, yeah. segment on the history of it. I which think that's that, that may be a special. Uh, let us know what you guys think at home. Yeah. So this is a Balmore. So the interesting about this is that, um, so Balmore, not Balmore. It's a was it? Not, it's not Balmore. It's a. Uh, Boat. I'm calling it Bowmore. I, I speak. You're English. not supposed to say the the W. I think Bowmore? it's Bowmore, 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 or something like that. I'm not Scottish, but um. <laughs> so if you are, yeah, uh, I don't know how to speak your freaky dicky words, Scottish person. Yeah. Um, no. So the thing about this is, this is actually the uh, capital of uh, Isle. So on the Isle Island. <laughs> Uh, that sounds weird to say. Yeah. On the Islay Island, um, it is uh, the home of like, I want to say around eight distilleries um, on this little island. Uh, well, relatively little. Um, and it's, I think the population is only. It's roughly uh, 3,000. So about 3,000 people, eight distilleries. And and well known distilleries too, like Lagavulin and and Lafroigue. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of them on there, but uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and also according to Wikipedia, the island of Islay uh, today it has over three thousand inhabitants, and the main commercial activities are agriculture, malt whiskey distillation, and tourism. And to be honest. The tourism and the whiskey distillation is probably, probably goes go. hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. Also with the agriculture for that, because it's only an island with three thousand people and they have eight worldwide distilleries. Yeah. I mean I, I mean and I'm I think those I mean are worldwide, I mean like though they distribute worldwide. That they're that, that's their huge because um, everybody's heard of an island whiskey. I mean, if you drink yeah. whiskey, you've heard of it. Yes. Um, but those are their huge money makers right there. Oh, but as uh, as for this one, like I said, the peatiness for me, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more peatier than I I tend to like. You know, I, I actually do tend to like smoother whiskeys, but it's not terrible. It's not over peaty. It's not over smoky. Yeah, I I would not count this as um as not I don't want to say severe, but as smoky or as um uh, what's a good word for it um. As hard hitting as the Lagavulin or the Lafroy, because yeah. those are very, very smoky, very, 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 very peaty, peaty. To where um, we're gonna get to those too. But oh yeah, we will. But those are like um, you know you get those and it's it is quite literally like eating a campfire ash. Like you have a campfire and you just like blow it out and then you just like take a big uh, big bite of like a burning log. Like, yeah. you kind of get that woody, smoky uh, feeling. Because, I mean, I've drank log and in it, you know, for a night, and then I've woken up feeling like I was at a, a bonfire all night. <laughs> you know, you wake up and, like, you, you have, like, it. this smoky and your smoky uh, flavor in your sinuses, and you're just like, oh, man, like, I must have been out late last night. No, you were on the couch the whole time, <laughs> you know. I do say, though, this does pair very, very well with this chocolate. I'm so. going to have to ask some of that then. So, um, so that is a little bit about the uh, the whiskey. I, I like it. I really do like it. Um, it is not the typical, not the typical, not what we've had on the show so far. Where it was, how can I say? It was uh, like a smooth finish. 
This is one of the ones where it has more of the smoky, smoky peaty taste. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely has a long-lasting aftertaste as well. So I really like it because it, it has the flavor, but it's not overwhelming. No, not this particular one. I mean, like I said, it's not. So would I buy this whiskey? I would probably buy this whiskey personally for those people who do like uh, Islay whiskeys and some of that peatiness. Would this be my personal drinking whiskey? Probably not for me. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. This would be probably a special occasion drink with a, a friend or, yeah. in this case, review for a podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad, you know, by no means I think it's a bad whiskey. There are some that I, we will discuss and that I totally, I totally hate. But uh, mm-hmm. no, this is not bad. It's just not my, uh, not my general uh, taste. Yep. It doesn't appease my palate. Yep. So that is the uh, the bartender weekly, and uh, I just want to let you guys. I just want to remind you guys that there uh, there is a clink that you will hear throughout the podcast, and what that is, you've heard it is, several times. You've heard already. it several times already, and that is the metal cubes in our glasses as we drink. Uh, do not d- get discouraged, folks. Please take a drink with us. Uh, it is very important that you drink with us so that you can keep up with our mental trains. Uh, because we sometimes go on uh, strange uh, uh, tangents. tangents and things like that, and you will need the uh, the alcoholic aptitude to keep up. Uh, I like that phrase, though. Right? The alcoholic yeah, aptitude. just off the dome. That's a, it was great. That's a, that was a good phrase. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I should record it. <laughs> <laughs> God, well, I'm going to steal it, and you get no credit. Uh, typical. <laughs> uh, so, uh, also, um, just want to let you guys know a. So the location, because I, I do like geography, the location of the uh, Islay Island is due west of Glasgow, Scotland, and it is much further south than the other whiskeys that we had previously, and you could definitely taste it. And that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, I, like, I like that about whiskey, yeah. is that you can taste the region, because each region has a, a very distinctive taste. It's not one of those things where it's a very subtle difference where you have to know what you're looking for. It's it's usually very in your face, um, much like wines, which we've compared whiskey and wine before. Mm-hmm. Uh, wine, especially Spanish and Portuguese wines and like Chilean wines, like if it's essentially if it's a Spanish-type wine, it will have almost a spice aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And once you have uh, like the Italians and some French wines, they don't have that. It's more of a dry pucker. Right, pucker in a more full body taste. Yeah, which we definitely need to get on the wines as well. Discuss. You know, we were we were sort of asked to move to the wines. No, no, we're not asked, dude. I do what I want. So I have a we, bunch of whiskey. We were, it was recommended. We it was recommended, yes. But uh, you know, well, I mean, we should take advantage because we actually do live um, pretty close to a major wine producing region. Um, so you know. Might as well. <laughs> we we live closer to winemaking regions and wineries than we do uh, distilleries. So. Oh yeah, but we're also gentlemen. Yeah. So well, also, I uh, just want to let you guys know if you have a recommendation on a specific wine or specific whiskey or cocktail or, or anything, drink. just give us a shout, leave a comment, and just uh, let us know. All right. So uh, moving right along, we're gonna go into our uh, first topic of the day and. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is uh, uh, is kind of a bad one. So, um, what happened? This happened and took place in Canada. And the backstory to this is a uh, 11 year old uh, Muslim girl 
uh, claimed that a man attacked her and threatened to cut off her hijab with a pair of scissors. And, of course, this caused a lot of outcry. You know, Justin Trudeau and a lot of people, you know, spoke out upon this because it was to illustrate that, oh, there's this big uh, anti-Muslim hate going on in Canada and they want to show solidarity and and be allies and yada, yada, yada. But when the police uh, investigated, it turned out it was fake. It didn't happen. Now, the the thing with these, you know, um, when you hear stories like these, there's these are they do a very big disservice because is there a lot? Of, is there some anti-Muslim uh, groups and people out there? Um, yes, they are. And and for full disclosure, me personally, I am not the biggest fan of Islam or religion in general, so I speak out on it a lot, but. I always tell people I don't like Islam, that I do not hate Muslim people. And I never want to conflate the two. You know, if I hate someone, if someone does something in the name of Islam that is bad, I'm going to point out how Islam played into that. But I don't want to paint with a big brush every Muslim out there is the same way because they're, they're definitely not. Uh, matter of fact, I, we had, I was talking about a movie I watched here recently that, that was uh, starred um, predominantly uh, Muslim people, and it was actually a really good movie. And it showed like the very in that movie, it showed the very the difference in Muslim people. Uh, they were living in um, this that's sitting around Muslim people living in Denmark, um, but the difference between them. So when you hear something like this, you know when someone feels that they have to make up a story to um, you know to show the hate that's out there. That that does a disservice because one, um, well, one, it shows that maybe there's not as much hate out there as people claim. Yeah, it's definitely misrepresenting. Yeah, it's misrepresenting a lot of a lot of things. Like, not saying that there isn't any hate, but if you have to fabricate uh, a story of hate, um, you there's probably not that much hate out there that that you you think. And this goes along with a, another story from uh, not too long ago where, a, um, on, sadly say, several black people uh, in the United States, uh, a black lady and, and some people, uh, actually faked um, attacks on themselves. Uh, they wrote nigger on their own car. They uh, uh, were, you know, showing that uh, they, they brought in nooses you know all these things uh one was you know uh one was on a college campus and the thing with this is that you know you don't that does not help the fight against these bad ideas when you when you have to fabricate these sort of things what happens is when these are found out you what it does is it takes away from your your argument your 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 viewpoint and your movement because people are going to sit there and go well you're telling me that it's so bad and so racist on this college campus that um, you you know it's so racist, but you had to fabricate a story to go along with it. And the same with this little girl, you know, if you're gonna now, you know, her motives for doing it has not actually been put out there, but the idea was that there's a lot of anti-Muslim hate in this area, you know that she felt comfortable enough to do this. And it's like, well, if it's that bad, why did you have to fabricate a story? 
Yeah, and it hugely uh, discredits the argument is one of the things. It's uh, it's the boy who cried wolf, right? I mean, it's it's... And like you said, it's apparently in this area where this girl thought that it was okay enough to... Like, she felt safe enough. Like, it was plausible that it would happen, right? Or plausible to be believed. Uh, yeah, it was... But it, apparently, there isn't any supporting evidence. And that's the thing. And that that's the, the hardest thing, is it completely discredits any argument yeah. that she had to where now anything that happens in that area... People are going to be like, eh, it's probably fake. Yeah, it's going to be dismissed because they're going to sit there. They're going to, so they're going to do what they rightly should do with any accusations. Is they should, they should listen to it, but they should also be very skeptical. You know, I do not believe in the whole listen and believe. You know, narrative that was pushed for a while. You know, you should listen to you know what people say, but then you need to be skeptical. You know, I always say listen and investigate. Uh, and if it's not your job to investigate, listen and be skeptical. Yeah. And that's something that we really kind of want to push here is um, definitely the lost art of critical thinking. Uh, think for yourself. Try to understand um, the certain methods and behaviors uh, of what is leading in the news uh, and kind of you know how and why people do what they do. I think that will kind of give you a, a better understanding of why um, certain decisions are made, definitely. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you try to take in can take into consideration any other additional factors, right? Well, and and again, you know, most of your decisions or opinions, especially when you hear something like that, should be evidence based. So the thing about this, you know, when the accusation was made, um, you know, a lot of people jumped on it, you know, and they made these grand, you know, uh, you know, showings of how they they stood up as an ally and stuff like that well now you got sort of egg on your face because you know you didn't even wait you jumped the gun so you waited you didn't wait so you made this big thing about you know oh you know this is horrible blah 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 blah. you know we need to do better look at these these hateful racist people here blah 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 well it was fake so you basically accuse people for you know you denounce you know demean and you know people for something that was made up that didn't happen and that could even go back to the reporters, right? Because they were reporting on this without any actual evidence. It was only yep. accusations. And I, I don't know if... Uh, did uh, did the girl that was, quote-unquote, the victim, or and that did the accusations, did she name anybody, or did she just say people did it? No, she said a man did it, a, a white man. man. Did it. A white man did it. And, um, and the thing with that, and, you know, and I'm not going to get too hard on She's 11 years old. Um and that's another thing. Like, it's, why are we giving credence to that? You know, yeah. like not to say that she's well, eleven that her word doesn't mean anything, but but it makes a good story, news story, right? Yeah. When you sit there and say, "Oh, this little kid was attacked," because everyone's gonna go with that, right? If you say a little kid or someone who's vulnerable, you consider vulnerable is attacked, um, it makes a good news story. So people want to come out and be like, "Oh." Yeah, but you also have to take an account. That should never be right. That should never be yeah. done. Which, you're right, it it shouldn't be. And in this case, it actually wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't happen. <laughs> so, uh, again, people just want attention, and they just want to call attention to certain um, topics or things like that that really apparently aren't even a thing or aren't a thing in this case. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like this is another, like, uh, well, this shiny is, penny. This yeah. is just another exercise, and and you know, especially when we tie it in, <laughs> which is going to go into our next topic. When we tie into these, um, you know, the Me Too, Times Up movement, and all these movements and stuff, where you're, where you have people speaking out, you know, 
about things, you need to always make sure that uh, you take everything, every accusation, you don't immediately believe it. Like, I think the dumbest people are the ones that, you know, when someone makes an accusation and they want to go to Twitter and go, I believe such and such. You know, I believe. Well, you look like an idiot when you find out it's not true or, you know, something like that. I say, so, no, you should. I'm not saying you don't listen to people. You listen to them and then you you remain skeptical. You remain skeptical. You sit there and go, okay, well, let's see what else comes out. This is what this is what this person says. And then we're going to see what else that comes out. Because right now, you know, with this little girl, you know, and, and it's sad to say, you know, she's she's the girl that cried the roof. Now, if something happened to her, you know, it's the it's the girl who cried wolf. Yeah, you know, they're gonna be like, oh, she just wants attention again. She just wants to be back on you. you know, would you can- readily Canadian believe? TV. It. No, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And, it, and that's what I'm saying. It completely discredits the argument and and the movement. You know, like now I feel like this girl's and this and her family's um, credibility is essentially forfeit. You know, well, like, I want to say like, forfeit, but it's gonna call it so. Well, now I'm going to think so much more critically, and I'm going to want to investigate every little thing they say. Right. You know, I mean, it's not. I'm not going to take it at face value. When typically, if somebody was to say that, you'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, let's let's look into it." Right. Especially if you can give specifics. The fact that she was vague and just said a man said that. A white man. Oh yeah, let's let's definitely put that out there. Because it was D. It was D. D white man. D white man holding them down. Uh, no, it's just that you know. And again, you know, not to harp on it because I really don't want to beat this little girl up. I I just want this just to be an example of why we should um, take all accusations. Um, Not saying that we don't take them seriously, but we we just make sure that we do, we investigate and we we see what evidence comes out before we, we pass judgments and make a fool of ourselves on social media. All right. So uh, moving into our next topic, the accusations or the sexual misconduct accusation against Aziz Ansari. And I kind of have a mixed feeling. So Aziz Ansari, I actually followed his career uh, when he first started. And I actually like his show, Master of None. Um, he is he is a different kind of comic. You know, he's kind of energetic. And, you know, when he does his things. And, and, and I typically like his performances. However, like most celebrities, I get kind of turned off when they try to talk um, social justice. Um, and not just so so much social justice as when they try to go out their way to virtual signal um, social justice to show how what a good guy they are. If you're a good dude, you tend to just be a good dude. You don't have to sit there and stand up and be like, I am a good dude. I stand up and I believe all women. Because I always say, you know, especially with male feminists or something like that, I say, you know, yeah, there's that whole yeah. start the clock until until they till they're accused of some sexual misconduct. And generally, the rule is, um, or what we've seen so far is, generally, male feminists are the biggest pieces of shit on the earth, and the women who support them or are like them tend to look stupid because you're like, oh, yes, he's such a family's ally and you're an asshole. And I'm like, well, I haven't raped anybody or no one's accused me of, raped any, of raping anyone or, you know, do it sexually harassing anyone. But uh, your ally has or has been accused of that. So 
you know, virtual signaling is one thing. Uh, you know, it's one thing to stand up for social justice, actual social in, uh, injustice. It's another to be a uh, a virtual signaling uh, dude because it seems like you're trying to compensate for the shit you probably you probably pulled or keep pulling. Well, that's another thing is you have a lot of celebrities, and we'll get into the Aziz Ansari case, but you have a lot of celebrities who the ones who stay quiet are the ones that go below the radar. They don't have any kind of controversy. It's the ones who say, I'm in power, or like, you know, I'm in for this, and you make it public, and you start doing essentially an entire uh, publicity uh, campaign for it. And, well, shit, when you start doing that, you make yourself a target. And every little thing that's ever come up, yeah. an ex-girlfriend who's spiteful is yep. going to start, you know, wanting attention and money. See, that's the thing is when you're a celebrity and you take a stance, you put a target on your back. Yep. Regardless, and especially nowadays in uh, in Hollywood, regardless of how, uh, how well-intentioned and even how well-behaved you are, you open yourself up because you are a celebrity, you have money, or you are at least perceived to have money, and essentially they can smear your name for no good reason. Yeah. You know, and to be honest, I wouldn't even be surprised if some of these I don't want to say victims, but some of these accusers are even paid off by other people who are um kind of uh want the other person to go down, you know, like the whole conspiracy type thing. I'm not saying that that's behind it, but I wouldn't put it past anybody to no say, way. "Hey, we just want to do a smear campaign against uh Aziz Azari, for example." And, you know, he's a good guy. There's nothing like we'll go over the article in a minute, but He's a good guy, and we just want to smear him. Yeah. So we just want to discredit him. We just want to make everything he says, you know, invalid. And uh, well, you know, you, you know, let's let's take other people. Let's look at Josh Whedon, right? Josh Whedon was uh, very big on the, you know, uh, he wasn't so much grant. He didn't virtue signal so much, but you know, he was very, you know, oh, I'm here for empowering women and stuff like that. And I'm like. You do that by just doing it, by by being, if you believe in equality, like, I, you know, a lot of people think when they hear me talk and I bash feminism and I can go on a long rant about that, they're like, oh, you must hate women. I was like, no, I don't hate women. I hate feminists and for good reasons. And I can outline it. I said, for someone, when you think you want, you know, you actually believe in equality, you'll treat people equally. And I'm pretty sure everyone who knows me is going to tell you I treat everyone equally. Everyone gets choked. Everyone gets choked. I don't. I do not discriminate between your your race, your gender, your sexual orientation. I uh, basically look at it one. Very not, I'm not saying I treat you nice. I'm just saying I treat you all equally. Yeah, equally like pieces of shit. Exactly. Thanks, LT. Yeah. Hey, I, that's what that's the way you do it. I was like, is it racist when you hate everybody? <laughs> I feel like that's equal opportunity. Everyone <laughs> no. has the equal opportunity to get treated like a piece of shit. Well, yeah, and I find like, you know, I said the thing is if you're, you know, I'm not saying I do, you know, obviously being hyperbolic, but if you are actually someone who stands for equality, you're just going to act that way. You don't need to tell people, you know, oh, I'm a feminist and I support women. And I'm like, okay, well, really, honestly, you know, unless someone declares themselves that they don't, most people do, especially in this day and age, because um, despite all the bullshit you hear in the media, we actually have a pretty good opportunity for women and men and minorities, you know, in most Western developed countries. You know, there is not that many, like, there's still obstacles to deal with, but 
to act like there's this big oppression that's keeping all these people back is is kind of it, it is it's not even kind of it is bullshit everyone has opportunities um that they can pursue most people aren't good enough for the opportunities they want or they think they should have and then they rack that up for you know some type of oppression like i had uh like going more but not to get too sidetracked, but yeah. So yeah. let's get into the Enzis and Zari uh, situation. So uh, go ahead and outline the uh, the events that led up into the accusation. Okay, so this is kind of one of those things. So generally, like I said before, um, when a male feminist virtue signals, you you start the clock to find out that they're a piece of shit. Aziz is actually, in my opinion, the exception to this rule. He is the exception because. Um, what he's being accused of is not wrong. It's not right. bad. He didn't right. do anything well, wrong. Well, before you even get into that and and kind of outline, just just give us a quick yeah. synopsis of what. So, quick synopsis. So, what happened was on the Golden Globe, you know, they made a big show. I didn't watch the Golden Globe this the Globe this year. Actually, I don't watch it any year. <laughs> Act like I do. I don't know. Um, they made a big thing about the Me Too movement and you know standing up for women in Hollywood and all that jazz. And Aziz won an award, and he used that time to platform and, you know, virtual signal his support and yada, yada, yada. And then soon after that, uh, a girl he went out with, had a date with, uh, goes to, uh, through another person who wrote the, the article, basically outlines a date she went on with Aziz Ansari. And she tried to point this that Aziz was this, you know, um, he did something wrong. He was a sexual predator, you know, like he just was like, he jumped on and he just, you know, wanted sex and just didn't, you know, wasn't taking no for an answer or sort of things. You know, that's the kind of thing that she, I guess she thought people were going to take from it. But what it turned out to be was people looked at it, her story and basically said, bitch. Well, fuck? well, what happened? Like, you so know, you know, tell they us went what out, happened. They went out, uh, he went to dinner and uh, while they're at dinner, he ordered wine. And one of her complaints was, he ordered white wine and I wanted red wine. And it's like, well, words, bitch, do you use them? It's quite unsafe. Like, you know, nowhere in her, nowhere in her article or this, you know, storytelling was she, she took any, like, sense of agency. Like, if you didn't want red wine or white asked. wine, you should have asked for red wine. Yeah. You know, or or get your own glass. Yeah, you know, if you're if you want to be a strong, independent woman, order your own food. Order your own food. Order your own glass. There was nothing stopping her. So so he they ordered wine. They had dinner. Um, I guess he was Aziz was sensing more going that's going to go on tonight than she was, and it was like she was like, yeah, he wanted to get the check, and she made this note that seemed funny. She's like. He wanted to get the check and pay for it and leave, and we still had more wine. And I had still had wine in my glass and in the bottle. And I'm like, bitch, you just said you didn't even like the wine. You didn't want that wine. So how is that even a problem? Well, even then, you know, you could still pay and then finish the wine. Like no, that is yeah. not even an issue. So well, she was talking about because he wanted to, he wanted to leave, and I, right. that's I mean, why he wanted to pay so they can leave. But again, your words. Say no, I want to finish the wine or whatever. You don't want to leave just yet. So he asked, the, asked her if she wanted to go back to his place, and she did. 
and she walks in and um they she said so one part she goes um I complimented his marble countertops and he took it as an invitation uh, when I said like nice countertops and he said, hey, why don't you have a seat on them? And she sat down on, you know, sat up on the countertop. Now, I don't know, maybe because I watched a lot of porn in my life, um, (laughs) I kind of think of what this this is going to go to. Like if you ask a chick to take a seat on a countertop it's because it brings the uh, lower region more up to uh, to uh, mouth level, so to speak. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it it is at a optimal height. Height is what it is to help facilitate. So so essentially, she goes to dinner with this dude, gets mad at the wine selection, then proceeds to go back to his house, then uh, compliments the kitchen, takes a seat on the counter after being prompted or asked to mm-hmm. and then what and what else so he starts fooling they start fooling around and um now granted she gives us some graphic now some things i don't know about aziz's move maybe these are my, my moves uh he uses something what they call the claw where you put your fingers in the woman's mouth or something like that um i i don't do that because i wouldn't want someone to do it with me so i'm not sure about that's what maybe what's new popping on the streets but she said she had displeasure with the claw but eventually during this thing she lets him undress him her and he undresses himself and they're both nude um they continue to fool around and he, when you know basically when he's trying to go to the he's trying to get into the you know into the punani uh he she you know she's like uh you know backs him away backs him away and anyone who's made out with someone for the first time for a while they know like you tend to like have to warm up you know saying like you can't just go oh okay we're dressed i'm gonna go straight to the twat nah you gotta you gotta warm up so she she's saying now that she was trying to say that she didn't want to do anything but she continued to be there stay there she allowed him to go down and perform oral on her and she performed oral on him twice twice all right uh at no point did she say that he threatened her forced her or anything that she performed oil oral and she cut it off when he actually wanted to go into a full intercourse he wanted he mentioned he wanted to get a condom and get this into full uh, intercourse and that's when she said no um, and what happened at that point? And she, they, they stopped and, you know, she, she got a little upset and she left. She said, you know, this is what all you, this is all you wanted this is all you wanted or some shit like that. And she was able to leave. He didn't force her to stay. He didn't hold her down. You know, it was like banger, try to banger or anything like that. And then the next day, uh, he texted her and said, Hey, I had a really good night. I'd like to see you again. And then she goes back. She's like, well, it may have been a good night for you, but not for me because, uh, and she said the dumbest thing. And I want to tell everybody this. If you say these words and as, as part of your accusation or your complaint or anything like that, I'm going to think you're a stupid motherfucker. You go, um, you ignored some obvious nonverbal cues. And um, I'm thinking I've, there weren't two obvious nonverbal cues because you blew the fucking dude twice twice so obviously those cues were not you were you were giving the quote-unquote mixed signals um during this whole thing well not only that i mean based off of you know the article that again i will put in the description and that we've discussed the 
there's absolutely nothing wrong. No. Nothing wrong. So a guy takes a girl out on a date, pays, uh, um, I would imagine, paid for everything, right? Got her mm-hmm. a glass of wine, did things. Oh, uh, fella, stop doing that. Yeah, wine and dined her. Uh, then took her back home, where to, I presume to his house, right? Yeah, to his to apartment. Hi, to his apartment. Uh, performed um, consensual oral sex. Both ways. Both ways. And then once Aziz Ansari was like, okay, hey, you know, hey, let me go grab a condom. Right? Even safe sex. Yeah. Hey, let me go grab a condom. Oh, and actually, I don't want to do that. Oh, okay. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do you want to watch Netflix? Do you want to, yeah. <laughs> you know, do you want to go do something? You know, uh, there was absolutely Nothing. no pressure on the quote unquote victim of this. Uh, or the accuser, like there's nothing wrong. There yeah. is absolutely nothing yeah. wrong with this. And the thing about this is that you know, and that's why I say some of some of the things these movements take away is agency. You know, um, women, especially Western women, have agency. They always they they have agency. They they can they can say no. They can say no if if someone is not you know saying. And and, and I'm I'm not gonna you know. Say there, there's non-awkward moments that happen between people, but that's when you use your words. Hey, I didn't want to do this, and she finally did when she, when you know, when she said no to intercourse. But she could have said no at any point. She was free to go at any point, and to act like you know Aziz did something you know horribly wrong by trying to want to get some ass on a date um, is fucking stupid. And to be honest, I wouldn't even say that he was just trying to get some ass because obviously. It takes two. It takes two. You know, like she wanted some part of that. And, you know, a little part of me even says that uh, because she decided to stop it once he decided to get a condom makes me think that she wanted uh, not, not she wanted more than just a booty call. She wanted a potential paternity victim. Well, I don't and think I, I don't I, think I, it's like that. she wanted. To, I, again, I, I haven't read the article, but just based off what you're saying, it's like, oh, let me go get a condom. It's like, oh, well, I wanted you know, a little something more long-term or whatever. I think that was it. I think she wanted, I think she probably wanted him, like, to have a, you know, to be a boyfriend and girlfriend and not be a booty call. Well, then that's on her own. She should have been like, oh, no, hey, you know what? Actually, after dinner, we should go go see a movie or go do a walk around. We shouldn't go back to your apartment because if you are any kind of adult in the dating dating scene or any kind of adult in general, you know that after dinner, you go back to somebody's apartment with, quote, unquote, no agenda. You know it's you, you know the agenda is fucking you, you know that is like, and, and you walk in and you hear porno music right away. Well, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, he just wanted some ass." I said, "I'm sorry, but today, you know, you know, uh, among the dating culture, it's it's a very big hookup scene, a very big hookup scene." I mean, you have apps for that. You do, and the thing is, so to act like you know fucking on the first date is not unheard of. Um, and <laughs> to be honest, I know I actually know many people. Who are in relationships right now, where they met someone and they fucked on the first date? Now, some of them are long term, some of them are not. Actually, most of them are not. But it's something that happens. This is what this is the culture. This is the change in culture we have right now. So where we invite, you know, the idea because the you know the funny thing is that you know we talk about you know everyone be be free with their sexuality, but when it comes to you know when you get into these positions, now it's like oh. Well, you know, she should have done more, you know, or he should have been more of a gentleman or all this. Like, no, if if you're going to give the signals that you want to fuck on the first date and you're down to fuck on the first date, that is totally fine. 
So I don't see nothing wrong with this this whole scenario. And I'm really I'm I'm definitely back in disease on this one because uh in this me too sort of witch hunt, um, this this shows you that we don't listen to every accusation. We should and I don't say don't listen to it, but uh we should take every accusation individually and evaluate them on face value. And and again, something we've talked about on previous episodes is the value of evidence. Uh, the value of evidence is paramount. You know, in this case, if the accusation came out, you know, Aziz Ansari sexually had sexual misconduct, it's like, well, actually, he was actually a pretty good dude, yeah. especially on today's standards. You know, he went out, wine and dined you, literally. And then you consensually came back to his place and consensually did all these things and then since consensually stopped. And well and there was no repercussions. You were free to do your own thing. There was nothing. He didn't even mention it. He even texted you the next day to say how he had a great time. And well, so I, Aziz would be my boyfriend. Well, here's the thing that I also, you know, I think that gives him more points, I think, in this was thing is even when she texted back and told him how uncomfortable she was and, you know, everything like that, um, he didn't even go like, uh, bitch, you shouldn't have came back to the place if you didn't want to hook up. He was like, oh, I'm very sorry. I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable. I thought we were having a good time. You didn't say anything. You know, he was he was actually really remorseful because he thought he they actually had a good time and he wanted to fix that, you know. Um, now, if a dude who just wanted a strict booty call and they want to talk to you, and he was like, well, bitch, go, get, I will tell you me. I would be like, bitch gets to step in. If you didn't want to do that shit, don't bring your ass back over to the house. You know what I'm saying? Don't, you know, don't, don't go down on me twice and then tell me you had a terrible time, like I did something wrong to you. His tongue game must not be on par. That could be, or it could be the claw. It could be the claw. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that, I don't know how that's sexy. So if someone could tell me how the claw is sexy, let me know. Yeah, but you know, not only that, it's also the um, or the last little article we we just talked about where these kind of false or um, are uh, accusations, misleading. yeah, misleading. That's the very good word for it. Misleading um, accusations they hinder and uh, discredit the entire movement, and that and you know, if you have a legitimate um, uh concern and legitimate uh incident and you have the evidence to support it like undeniably which especially you know nowadays when you have texting and all this other and you have all these other kind of voice recording technology things like that i'm not saying to go out and do these things but there's so many other avenues that you can go besides going to a reporter right away and and trying to get um uh, attention, you know, if so, and we've talked about this before. If you've gone, if you've had uh, uh, an, an assault, a sexual assault, or any kind of uh, harassment or anything like that, go to the police. You know, go through the proper legal channels. Yep. To um, well, I say for a sexual assault, get, sexual harassment is kind of handled in a different thing because it, it is. But I mean, any kind of you know, th- it, I, I'm I'm basing this off of the legal ramifications versus the social ramifications. True. And again, the le- you know, always go legal cuz the moment that you go social first, I think that you don't have any evidence. I think that your claim is invalid or it will be discredited very soon. Or you're out, you know, you're out for attention or money and 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 those are, you know, they're not unheard of. Um but yeah, I'm back in Aziz on this one. Um 
All right, everybody. So, yeah, so now we're going to transition into the next segment about uh, Jordan Peterson's debate on the gender pay gap, campus protest, and postmodernism. Now, this is an interview that he did on Channel 4 in the BBC in the no, UK. The BB, no, the BBC. Oh, sorry, not BBC. Or, sorry, it was just the UK. This is the Channel 4. Channel 4 in the UK. When, they were, when the B- British television only had four channels, um, Channel 4 was... The newest one. Was, so, the, was yeah. the top dog, yeah. yeah. So uh, so anyway, he was being interviewed um, by a Kathy Newman. And uh, so we really, really like this interview because it, it outlines so much about the, um, the social environment nowadays. Um, but if you don't know about Jordan Peterson, uh, his, I want to say claim to fame or the reason why he's even in the news is because uh, he opposed a bill that um, uh, Canada Parliament proposed, uh, Bill C-16, which regulated the, um, the, f- the freedom of speech of everybody, essentially. Well, what it did was um, part of the bill was, uh, and what she had contention of, is uh, it, it implied and imposed something what the, he consult calls compelled speech, meaning that... The basic outline is if you misgender someone, if there's a transgender person and you misgender them, that you could possibly um, face legal ramification. And that part is actually in the bill. Um, Now, the cases that will be brought against it would probably be hard to do, just like defamation or libel suits. But his his claim to fame is that um, he was not going to be held by compelled speech that um and we'll talk about this more later and and now yeah. but that's what he he yeah. his big claim to fame was now when it? we talk about compelled speech though we talk about the um and what I li- something I like to call the pronoun game that's uh, that's become kind of relevant now is yeah. that uh the bill outlined several actually many uh different pronouns that were up, quote unquote approved by the parliament now um not using these pronouns uh, when talking to someone of transgender constituted a possible hate crime. Yes. And so uh, something as innocent as, you know, saying he or she and the person would rather be referred to as the opposite or something completely different. Uh, And we're talking about, like, really strange words, like words that you don't normally use. Um, Z's or Z's. Yeah. Exactly, especially especially the, especially the last one. But I mean, uh, anyway. So his entire contention was that um, if he was going to use those uh, pronouns, he was going to do it on his terms, yes, and not be government regulated. So and he was essentially branded as a transphobe, as a racist, a white misogynist, sp- misogynist, uh, white supremacist, and none of this is actually true. true. None of it is true. None of that. Uh, but I highly encourage our, our listeners to go out and um, listen to some of his um, uh, lectures and interviews. Yeah, he says like something like over 200 hours worth of lectures. On yeah, I mean, he, the, the guy is kind of brilliant. I mean, he's a, he is a clinical psychologist, a profes- uh, professor of psychology at University of Toronto. And um, I, don't, I, I just really uh, like how well spoken he is yeah so we're going to show a few clips and about this or from this interview and then we're going to talk about them so listen up jordan peterson you've said that men need to quote grow the hell up tell me why 
Well, because there's nothing uglier than an old infant. There's nothing good about it. it people who don't grow up don't find the sort of meaning in their life that sustains them through difficult times and they are certain to encounter difficult times and they're left bitter and resentful and without purpose and adrift and hostile and resentful and vengeful and arrogant and deceitful and and of no use to themselves and of no use to anyone else and no partner for a woman and there's nothing in it that's good so you say, i mean that sounds pretty bad you're saying it's there's a bad. crisis of masculinity i mean what do you do about it you tell, you help people understand why it's necessary and important for them to grow up and adopt responsibility. Why that isn't a shake your finger and get your act together sort of thing. Why it's more like, why it's more like uh, a delineation of the kind of destiny that makes life worth living. I've been telling young men, and, but it's not, I wasn't specifically aiming this message at young men to begin with. It just kind of turned out that way. But. And it's mostly, you admit, it's mostly men listening. I mean, 90% of your audience is a man, Well, it's right? about 80% on, on YouTube, which is a, YouTube is a male domain primarily. So it's hard to tell how much of it is because YouTube is male and how, how much of it is because of what I'm saying. But um, you, you, what I've been telling young men is that there's an actual reason why they need to grow up, which is that they have something to offer, you know, that, that, that people have within them this capacity to set the world straight and that's necessary to manifest in the world. And that also doing so is where you find the meaning that sustains you in life. So what's gone so, wrong then? So um, that outline, that opening part from uh, Peterson is uh, actually, I think was really, really good. He acts, uh, he, um, actually outlines what's the problem with uh, with men today. Um, I completely agree. And uh, we've talked about this, you know, offline a lot about um, uh, essentially how the adventure is is lost now. The journey is lost. Yeah. We're well, we're in a we're in a society right now where um, so male nature and I know there's a lot of people who like to argue and all that and, and they, they want to pretend that there's no difference between men and women, but typical masculine nature is competitive and it's adventurous you know and one of the things that we don't have much anymore is the uh the grand adventures that we had um of the days of yore you know we don't have before when someone decided to set out and sail around the world it was big news because it was like or or um yeah i mean we had magellan that uh, sailed around the world. Yeah. We had uh, Christopher Columbus, who thought he made it to America. Or to the Indies. <laughs> or to the Indies, Indies, and he made it to America. We had uh, Lois and Clark, which went west. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason we, you know, even with uh, um, uh, Amelia Earhart, you know, mm -hmm. the reason we, we learn about these people and, and we celebrate them is because these were the grand adventures. These were the discoveries where we went out and we, we went into the unknown and, you know, man versus nature and all that jazz or discovery and yada, yada, yada. I say, well, those are, those are uh, mostly lost now. And, and the, I think that that is also part of that crisis of masculinity is because men um, with a very competitive nature and, and really the, 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 the masculine traits are why we have the society we have today. Right. And and I have about I have two points that I'd like to make for this. So one is that the um 
the art of being a man is almost lost nowadays. Now we don't have the uh, we don't have the the avenues to um, to go on these grand adventures and things like that. So we kind of I don't want to say sublet, but we look for validation and adventure in other avenues. So for b- young boys, we have like the Boy Scouts, right? We have uh, martial arts. We have um, these other kind of uh, organizations and things like that where we look for an opportunity to um, to challenge ourselves and face a hardship. Well, right. it, it not just face a hardship. It's also to it, it's also a path of self discovery. So you mm-hmm. un- you understand where you're at, and you're right. We don't have those those many of those rites of passage as we used to do um, anymore. I mean, they're still there. They're not completely gone. But we, they're kind of dwindling, and we need to sort of um, uh, rediscover them, uh, you know, because that helps men, you know, men and people in general, society in general, understand who they are. And I always find it funny, like, so, you know, as you know, I am a, I am a uh, vet. Uh, we're both vets, but um, I have, I am a, I'm an Afghan vet. And I always, you know, when I tell people, like, you know, the reason I went to Afghanistan is that I wanted to go to war. I wanted to fight in a war because, one, it doesn't happen that often. And, two, I wanted to understand. I wanted to experience what it was like. You know, I wanted to grow up. I I grew up idolizing stories of different warriors and what they did and all that stuff like that. And to actually be in a battle where my life was on the line, um... I wanted to experience it firsthand, and you know, and I think those experiences, and I'm pretty sure I can, I can, um, you know, I w- many vets would probably echo my experience was, was kind of eye opening. It it showed me who I was as a person. Um, not saying that it was all great. It wasn't like this grand thing. Like it, there were some more very horrible things about being being in battle and being in war, but to experience it firsthand you started you come back with a sense of clarity and i think that's the same thing that also drives people to do different things like you know climb everest or k16 or you know do these things that we you know we do because the granted that sense of adventure and and danger and 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 proving yourself and testing yourself is a is a part of being a human or being a man in general and we don't um but like I said before, the avenues of doing that are, are, are diminishing. Yeah, and and I completely agree. And uh, that's something that I can definitely um, correlate to the journey of uh, of my journey so far. Very, very, very few steps on that journey, but um, through jujitsu, and it's one of those journeys of constant self discovery, constant improvement, constant um, accomplishments. Um, but then also you have to remain very humble because there's always another big dog on the hill. You're welcome, yeah. by the way. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but so my second point that I wanted to bring up was that it it seems like uh, I've heard the term ta- um, toxic masculinity a lot. That's the and and I feel like that obviously is an attack on masculinity, attack on, attack on men, and so men and women. Hold on, men and women. Uh, Obvious. So, we we both believe that gender equality is a thing, right? Yeah. Gender equality is a thing. Well, you, and equality wait, 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 in wait, the wait, sense. Well, well, let me let me clarify. No, no, let me clarify because okay. I'm posing this right. Okay. So, well, men and women should be p- 
should be treated the same. However, no, men and women, have, however, however, men and women are not the same. Right. So, uh, and the same in the workplace. Yes, in the workplace, a meritocracy. Well, yes, one hundred percent. You should be graded on your performance alone. And uh, when I say that, I mean when you want to talk about, uh, let's let's say a salesman, right? Between Betty and Ryan, there should be. No discrepancy based off gender, right? If Betty sells more than Ryan, she's a better salesman, period, yeah. point blank. Yeah. And definitely. then you should reward that. You should create that kind of competition yeah. within your company that rewards good uh, salesmanship or good, um, performance. Uh, good performance. Now, within society, there's a thing called gender roles. And gender roles are not always bad, Right there's a reason why they're gender roles. Yeah. There's a reason why men are built stronger and taller than the average woman. Now, yes, some women are built better and taller than other men, but that's not really the, the those overall are the case. Those are the exceptions. Not the rule. Exactly. Not every woman is Chris Cyborg. A- exactly. Yeah. And so you have, you know, very typically you have a man who is I responsible. You have a uh, a man whose typical duty is to protect, to uh, to provide, and th- and uh, to ensure that everyone is safe. Correct. Yeah. And so then, well, let me. So yeah, when we come, with, we talk about society and in society and how we develop as a human being, um, or as as uh, social animals, is that. Generally, um, the man um, is the one who is the one who keeps things in order. I mean, you see this in, and you don't just see this in humans. You see this amongst different other social animals, right? So you look at a pride of lions, right? Yeah, the lion, the male lion, you know, is the head of the herd, you know, the head of the pride. Um, and he, he has a territory. He maintains that now. Yeah. Do the, do the, the lioness go out and hunt and get food? And and one of the misconceptions, people go like, well, the lioness go out and hunt. I was like, yeah, but the male lions hunt too. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is like when there's an intruder or there's something, there's a threat to the pride who goes out to fight that threat, who goes to face that, the threat, the the male male lion, you know, and the same thing with gorillas, you know, the gorillas, gorillas will have their community, um, and they have their territory and stuff like that. But when there is a threat to that that community and stuff like that, the one that goes out to face them is the is the male gorilla. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, there's a reason for that. And we can go into the the science of it and everything like that. But what I want to make clear is that there are clear or there are natural quote unquote natural gender roles that people naturally yeah. fall into, and. Just because they're gender roles and you learned about them in your gender studies class doesn't mean that they're bad. No. You know, um, women can be um, sensitive and soft and emotional. That's fine. Men can be uh, the very stereotypical stoic characters, you know, emotionless, emotionless and... Um, well, essentially stoic. I wouldn't say so. The, the The idea of the stoic hero, I mean, is something that we 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 try to admire. But I think it means it means more than that. And you know, and I was often pick you know look to my father as this because my father was, you know, I look at him. I mean, you know, also a vet. You know, um, and and someone who's 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 done you know his share of duty is that 
it wasn't so much as that it was stoicism, like he was emotionless and stuff like that. He just knew that there was a job to be done and it you had to get shit done. And he focused on it. Yeah, you focus on it, whereas like, you know what, there there's a I always I always joke about, you know, one of the things, examples I like to use is in Predator with uh, Jesse Ventura, right? Um, where, you know, they first encounter the Predator and the, the dude comes up to him and he's like, oh, you're bleeding. And Jesse Ventura looks at him and he goes, I ain't got time to bleed. And it was like, yeah, that was usually, that is generally what happens is because there's a job to be done and you have to focus on doing it. And, you know, often men are, are given this, you know, uh, label or are seen as, you know, oh, men don't share their feelings or their emotionless. It's like, no, it's not really that men don't have feelings or they don't show it. It's just that we know when there's something that needs to be done, we need to do it. Sitting there and talking about our emotions is not going to fix a problem. If we're hungry, talking about our emotions is not going to put food on the table. And, and that's something... And that men do exceptionally well, I think, is compartmentalization. You know, yeah. we're able to say, you know, put all the BS to the side. I have to do something. And don't do, I don't want to get it wrong? Women do this too. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And, and especially in the rise of a of a single mother households, women do do this. Okay, but mm-hmm. men, this is something that they have done, and it's it's actually more of a recent thing. You know, because think about it, single parent households are are, are more of a recent trend mm-hmm. and women have learned to adapt and, and deal with this you know so they can take care of their their own and their family but I was like but this is something that's been put on men since time immemorial so not saying you know this is not a one-sided thing it's like you know it's not exclusive but it's just something we do women can do too but there's something they had to learn to do yeah now there was something else that uh jordan peterson mentioned about um you know how baby you don't you don't want a grown baby essentially yeah uh, and what i took from that was that you don't want a uh an adult man or adult male who um is emotionally and psych um uh emotionally and mentally psychologically, psychologically um uh immature yeah you know and that brings me back to the uh uh, to the great adventures and these um, the rites of passage, those kind of events within our lives give us um, uh, mental security, emotional security, because we we develop um, healthy ways to deal with stress. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when when times get hard, you don't want a uh, a, a man who's just going to throw a hissy fit. You want a man who's gonna like put all the bullshit to the side and he's get shit done, get shit done, and then later on he can he can cry in bed or do whatever, whatever is cathartic for him. But he needs, uh, you need someone who's gonna turn that kind of fresh that inner frustration into positive energy and do that in a healthy way instead of um, lash out and things like that, which is I when. You see that a lot in our Facebook videos and our feeds and things like that, yeah. where you know teens nowadays and in, in um, mid to early twenties, you know they're they're like lashing out or they're doing like the stupid shit, the pat the the Tide Pod challenge right now. I support the Tide Pod challenge. Uh, that's Darwinism, man. <laughs> I mean, it's but you have people that are you know you, they're looking for ver- verification and validation from outside sources instead of trying to find their own journey. Yeah, and. and and, and it's a huge. I feel like it's. I, I'm fine with Darwinism because you know well, I, it's, I'm gonna be a strong people. 
Well, you're also older than the typical people, and, and that's this, the the thing we have to also recognize too is that we're we're too worried. Uh, individuals looking back on the, the kids growing up, just like our parents or generations before us did to us. And, you know, you want to look at a way to make it better for them. And one of the things I could tell, I could, I could definitely see where a crisis comes with, especially our young men nowadays, is um, they they don't, they will go out there and they don't see a sense of purpose and a sense of striving, you know, something something to move them in life. The thing that, that moves everybody in life, um, whether they want to admit in life, is conflict. We always are res- we are always facing a conflict, and that's what keeps us going, um, whether it's, you know... Um, well, that's, that's the best stories, though. I mean, you have every oh, yes. kind of story, every kind of heroic journey involves a conflict, yeah. everything from the karate kid to... It also involves a bully, but that's a yeah. different topic. Well, I mean, I mean that's a conflict. You know, yeah, it's a conflict. Uh, I mean, you have the Karate Kid. You have uh, the Goonies. The Goonies. I mean, all these stories throughout time. I mean, time immemorial, really. I mean, like go back yeah. to mythology. There's no story you know, that does not involve conflict. Yeah, some kind of conflict. Some kind of conflict. I mean, you can talk about Homer's, um, the Greek Homer. Uh, uh, I don't know, is it a trilogy or whatnot where it talks about Jason and all oh, the well, other Greek mythologies? Like the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, the Iliad, yeah. I yeah. mean, those are literally ancient stories that are still relevant today. Right, and, and, and when we talk about Ben, you know, and what, like, Peterson said about growing up, they're not, they're not facing these, they're not facing these conflicts as much because especially in Western civilization, they are um, to a point where they really they don't face any of these things they're yeah life is very easy essentially yeah, life is easy like the poorest the poorest american is better off than you know a good majority of of the world and the the problem with that it breeds you know the the, the funny phenomenon you know we discussed before why suicide seems to be a an a, a upper class thing to do you know, more suicides happen in more affluent areas than they do in more poor and impoverished areas because And that of, is an actual statistic. Yeah, because of the lack of conflict. When you are when everything is is uh provided or you don't have to really worry about anything, you have more time to have an existential crisis. So men learning to men having to grow up nowadays. Now, don't be wrong. Like, you know, despite everything that's going on, you know, and and I why I don't support a lot of things is because women actually have it pretty good right now. They have they have a chance. They they have more opportunities. The spotlights on them, the media's on them. They get to go up and 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 they have carte blanche. The men not so much, especially our young boys. They they're actually facing a lot more adversity, and a lot of them are actually retreating um, instead of engaging in the world because they see that they're they're facing a world where they're not getting support the same support um, that we're, we're that we're giving women. Well, and that goes back to the to masculinity being labeled as toxic. Yes, you and know? that's that's one of those bullshit things. That I mean, honestly, let's be honest. That's something that was that was cupped up by feminists just to just to diss men, and I, you know I, I agree with that. I yeah, agree with that. And, and and some of them were gonna say no, that's not, and I'm gonna tell you, you're a bold faced liar because there is nothing toxic about masculinity. The only time masculinity masculinity is toxic is when it leads to harm to other people, undue harm, right? But that but 
we have that with women also, but we don't talk about toxic femininity. Feminine, <laughs> I can't even talk right now. Um, basically, so when we talk about women, you know, murdering their kids, which they tend to do more than men, um, we don't talk about toxic, you know, how toxic they are. You know, we, we, we find a reason, we explain away the reasons why they did it. Oh, the, she must have did it because of postpartum depression, or she must have did it because of this, and da, 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 da. And we find excuses. But when men act out, you know, oh, it's just that toxic masculinity. And I was like, you do a disservice there because let, let's be honest, the, the reason we, we have society is because of it was built on the, the backs of men. And we need to not, we need to remember that going into the future because, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, this is going to, you know, kind of piss people off. We had a day without women, right? Remember that? That was a big thing, day mm-hmm. without women. No one cared. Day, everyone went on like normal. You have a day without men, the world stops. I, I I gotta see the I gotta see the stats and everything. I mean, I gotta see the sporting it's evidence. It's true. I mean, I'm not gonna this. It's true. Let's okay. I every, mean, if every according man to the stats that are proposed by uh, several, 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 every uh, female uh, um, talk show anchor or uh, journalist, uh, that uh, the vast majority of uh, Fortune 500 companies are CEO'd by by men by men, by which. Men. I mean, but it's not just, but it's not, let's get to this because you know, the one of the things I hate to talk about when they, they always talk about, there's not enough women in Fortune 500 companies and CEOs. So I, I see that as a, I no, see no, no, that no, as a flaw. It is a very big anyway. flaw because we never talk about the, the, about the low level. All right. Still several things that make the world go around is still heavily men, male dominated sanitation which we definitely need, is predominantly, right? I think it's like 95% male. You don't see, you don't hear, peop, you know, feminists arguing for equal representation mm-hmm. and trash collecting. Well, one thing that I like to point out with this is that that argument is, I believe, completely invalid uh, based upon um, essentially equal opportunity. So... Uh, what is to stop a woman from creating her co- own company and and ri- making it rise? Well, you know what? There, there's there's really there's really nothing. Actually, no. This is actually really funny. Okay, now, go for it. We will, we can we can look this up later, but we'll probably talk about it later in a later podcast. But there was a company that a woman did just that. She she started her own media company, and it was completely one hundred percent staffed by women. You know why you don't hear about it? Why is that? Because the biggest obstacle for the making that company rise was the other women. And um, she actually wrote an article about this. And we'll, we'll link it down in the podcast. Uh, but she basically said, it was basically this. She didn't realize how much catfighting was going on between women that it's too much. It, it's so much it, it tanked her whole company. Um, because it was it, it the biggest obstacle that holds women back from succeeding is not men, <laughs> it's other women. I mean, I I can't dis I can't say no to that. It's to be true. It's, it's it's a true story. Like you know, and I always point out like okay, like uh, one of the movies I, I I really loved coming out was uh, Mad Max. Mad Max Fury Road, right? Yeah, the new one with um, Charlize Theron yeah. and uh, and. 
Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Tom, I'm going to be Venom soon, Hardy. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I pointed out in that movie, right, because everyone's like, oh, Mad Max, this is a feminist movie. This is a feminist. This is about the women. And it was. It was mostly women with one male who was kind of good. Every other male in the movie was 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 considered bad. Yeah. Right? But it was mostly, you know, we were supposed to root for Charlize's character and stuff like that. I said, but I was like, I wanted to point it out one thing. The whole purpose was to get uh, Charlie and the, and the women, the maidens, to this uh, society of women, you know, this, this, this whole community of women. And then when they got there, what happened? There was no community. It was all gone? It was all gone. It collapsed because it was 100% composed of women. And yeah, I, I think. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, go ahead. I want to point this out too, and, and I'm I, and I'm trying not to do this as a as a oh we we're gonna freaking bash women because this is not really a bash woman thing, it's more of a why we have to, why women, why women still need to understand that we you need to respect men, and men also has to understand that they need to respect and value women, is that this, if you look at every survival show we've had you know whether it was uh survivor usa or the island with bear grills when they pinned that men one versus is, women that one is very good and to be honest they're not even and so for the viewers at home i highly recommend you take you take a look at these uh these episodes but it's not men versus women what it is is they you essentially know the bear grills, well well but they're, they're, it's not survivor where they're doing like competing games all it is is there's one the bear grills was but the survivor was men versus yeah women. i'm talking about bear grills yeah so the bear grills one was a group of men on an island and a group of women on a separate island and they essentially documented how they progressed individually mm-hmm. now they had zero interaction with each other and i think that it says a lot about how each gender works together amongst yep. themselves now i'm now again uh, i'm going to backtrack a little bit as to what you mentioned earlier was um each we all need to kind of respect each other yeah um but you know you hear a lot of um banter and negative comments about the gender roles and things like that one there is a reason why there's gender roles there's a reason why you know men do the hunting and women do the gathering kind of thing right we're not saying that, and this is y- not to say the women can be hunters because no, we no, both know yeah. a, oh, a, hunt, I, a, a woman who is a great hunter and she oh, absolutely, with and she is our crack dealer. She is, and, and I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there are a reason why these there there's are these roles, and these roles have got humanity through society for thousands of years, right? So, um, we just need to respect that kind of historical heritage and then respect each other's abilities to do things. Now, us here at the DOG, we believe in a meritocracy. Yep. We definitely. we want to judge everybody not by what they represent, but what have they what, what they have accomplished do. and what you can provide to the team. Essentially, you know, if you are a great hunter, right? Or if you, if you're a 5 foot 1 female basketball player and you can dunk and score 50 points a game, you're on the team. You know, I don't care that you're a female. I, you know, I, would, I care that you. I, would, I care that you score fifty points. I'd be more points. impressed that you're five foot one and you right. can dunk. I right. would definitely put you on the team. Right, Muxy Bogues. But you know, but that—that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Is we care. We don't care about um, your history or things like that. We care about what you bring to the constructive and I social think, structure. I think societies are like that. Like I always point out, this is one. This is one clip from The Simpsons that I always like. 
where uh, Lisa, so Lisa on the Simpsons is, uh, you know, she's a feminist woman and, you know, she, she's always want to stand up for these women's rights. So she goes to this one part where she goes to the football practice and she's like, I want to go out for football. That's right. A, a girl wants to play football and Ned Flanders is the coach. And he goes, oh, great. Come on out. There's already three girls on the team already. And then when she realized, oh, shit, there's already three girls there. She's like, uh, never mind. I said, yeah, because a lot of this is grandstanding. Like for the for the most part, and I, I will tell you, when I was in high school, um, we actually had, I, I wrestled, I played football and wrestled, but I will tell you this, we had girls on both my football team and on our wrestling team. And if they were in wrestling, I think wrestling is more of a meritocracy than football because we used to do these things called wrestle-offs, right? So when you, if you wanted, we're about to do a duel, um, and you wanted to go out there and you're the guy that's going to score points for your school, you had to do a wrestle-off in practice. So the people in your weight category, you wrestle off against them. The one who won is the guy that represents the school. So the girls that represented our schools are the best in that weight category. That were the best in their weight category. And the same thing, actually, in the same thing in our, uh, in the, when I was in the Army, when we did our combatives, our combatives were not separated between male and female. And this is one thing that um, I always appreciated. And I was a combatives instructor when I was in the military or in the Army at one point, um, is that um, we, didn't, we didn't separate the women and the men when it came to training and in competition because... You didn't know you, the, you didn't have a choice of who you got to fight on the battlefield, right? Completely right, yeah. All right, so we had women that would compete in our annual combatives tournament uh, all the time, and I could tell you, I don't want to name them here, but I could tell you there were several women. Um, now, be granted, you know, in all fairness and, and inevitability, none of them progressed past the semifinal final rounds, but there was many that actually won their bouts. Um, you know, three, four, or two to three bouts into the into the uh, tournament, um, and as you get higher up, obviously the the cream of the crop, the best of the best, are going to come through. And I'm sorry, there's not many women that are going to be able to compete compete with men in a combat in a combative scenario. But we showed that there are women out there that can hold their own against at least against some men. And given our enemy at the time, our women would kick the shit out of a lot of the combatant men. Well, that's another thing is, you know, a trained woman, a trained woman who's um, familiar with combatives would essentially dominate the crap out of the normal everyday guy. The one yeah. who who has no uh, martial arts or combative training. You know, and that, and that just goes back to training that doesn't go back to gender and like that that goes back to this woman knows how to handle herself well there's a we had one um she was taught um like much like me she was um she was uh in the judo since she was like a little kid like i started judo when i was like seven years old and pretty much continued it to this point um you know it didn't morph into like bjj mma and stuff like that but was introduced real young, and she was actually really, really good. You know, really, really good. So when she went out there to, uh, I think it was our second combatives tournament, she went out there against uh, a couple of guys, and most of the guys that that compete in this thing, you know, these these are guys from combat arms. You know, things we had, you know, guys from the Ranger Bat. We had like a lot of infantry dudes and stuff like that. Uh, not uh, totally, because uh, I'll tell you right now, um, the baddest dude in uh, second, second Ranger Bat was uh, the cook. 
uh, <laughs> bar none. So nice. the the MOS didn't necessarily denote who was the better fighter. Um, but the but she went out there and she made it to the third round and she she submitted everyone she came to. Now when she got to like you know again higher up, you know she eventually got beat by a better fighter. But yeah, she was she was really good. And there was another officer, um, and I watched her her bouts really closely. Um, uh, versus it was in uh, one of our televised uh, uh, events. She was she was a scrapper, you know. A lot of guys that went out there who who dismissed her right away uh, found themselves on the uh, bad side of a choke. So, and that goes back to meritocracy, you know. Yeah. Um, you're valued by what you can bring to the team, and I ha- and that's that's essentially uh, what this entire part is about. So, to recap, what Jordan Peterson was saying was that. You don't want um, someone who is emotionally and mentally insecure and immature. And uh, here at the DOG, we believe that you need to have these kind of crucible moments in order to uh, build character, create uh, mental and uh, psychological stability and safe. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Right. I I like using synonyms. And also, uh, but to create uh, healthy coping mechanisms uh, for yourself um, yep. when dealing with um, essentially these uh, these problem times, you know, you know, everyone's going to face stressors in their life, yep. and you have these people who um, would rather go to um, McDonald's and cause a fucking scene because they're out of ketchup or some bullshit like that, and. Instead of just kind of being like, oh well, that's another thing. Can't no ketchup with my fries, right. uh, you know. Find okay, you know, deal with it. Take yeah. your ass to freaking you know, fucking Publix or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't want to cause a scene and seem emotionally or, or and Segway or yeah, Safeway. I yeah, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever place oh. you're at. You don't want to <laughs> seem uh, mentally Scans and emotionally secure or insecure in that regard. And uh, going through these kind of crucible moments, like I said before create this uh this foundation of um uh, stability and that's i think what yeah no 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 going through them and coming out the side with you know going through them you know the uh, the rites of passage oh, and true, that. True. those yeah. you know coming through that and and being a functional member of society that provides or that gives uh, uh us as as men i, I believe a, a feeling of value, I would say, oh, okay. because now we can be a functioning member of society. We have um, certain uh, re- roles that we just discussed, you know, and responsibilities. Yeah, and that's a big thing too. Um, so roles and responsibilities within relationships, within societies. Just because uh, men and women are different does not mean that we are should be treated different. Uh, men and women have different gender roles, as being seen historically. And it's not um, a bad thing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that once we come to work and society, things like that, sometimes we have to look at the metocracy of people uh, versus based off gender and demographics. You know, we need to see what kind of value they're bringing to a company and things like that. So, so, and, and it is all good thing, but I want to get to this last part real quick because I think this part where in the interview where uh, Peterson talks about um, where this uh, was brought up, and, and this talks about freedom of speech and 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 being offensive, and of course, based off of our uh, our uh, our name, um, we obviously believe in and that, that you need to be offensive, and 
going to this thing, you know, um, there's many rights that we people have, but the right to not be offended is not a right. It's not a right protected by the Constitution in, well, okay, in the United States, it's not a right, but in different places, and I, I think actually globally, you do not have a right to not be offended. And being being offensive is how you get to truth. Well, being offensive is, or being offended is a choice, I feel like, you know, well, because, yeah, uh, you because don't, the simplest thing can offend somebody, you know. The way I order tater tots in the cafeteria could offend the person who would who would prefer French fries. True, but see, so the thing with, with the thing with offense, offense is never given. Offense is always taken. Yep, I agree. Yeah, so we're gonna go to this part here, and and I love this moment in this interview. You cited freedom of speech in that. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because. In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm you very glad my, that well, I have no, you get my, my point. You get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that is what you should do. But you're exercising you your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think you, more power to you as far as I'm concerned. So you haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah, it took a while. It took a while. It did. So that part there, I think that is that sums up a lot, and that and that's what's really missed in a lot of society. And what what Peterson said here, um, and oh by the way, um, for you guys that are listening, there's a lot of people who are going to say that Peterson's uh, white nationalist and he supports the alt right and all that. No, we we already disproved all of that. All that shit. I am I am not a white dude, and I listen to this guy all the time, and and. Be fair, I disagree with some parts of what he says, uh, especially when it comes to religion, but everything else I'm I'm in lockstep with because I think he brings very valid points to the table. And what he just said here was a very valid point. In order to get the truth, you have to risk being offensive. So a Absolutely. And what we just talked about was offense is never given, it's always taken. So even when you're discussing religion, right? Uh, let's say Islam to Christianity, right? They're both speaking on religion, but one that one religion or one speaker is going to offend the other based off of their uh, historical text, based off of the, uh, the Quran versus the Bible. Yeah, things like that. So, you know, things, if you cannot be objective to something, then you are already at fault. Exactly, and and one of the things you know, um, you know, a, a mantra that's that's put out today is facts doesn't, facts don't care about your feelings. I know people attribute this to different people, but this has been going on for a while. Is because we've seen a lot of people who uh, value their feeling, their emotional response over facts, and this is this is not something we should base a society on, you know, completely. If I tell you, you know, drinking bleach will kill you, just because you feel that you should be able to drink bleach doesn't mean that it's not harmful. Yo, so, that's Darwinism at that point. Well, just let, true. Just, just let the guys who think that bleach is a Gatorade, just let that shit slide. Yeah. 
So, and, then, and then we'll be a stronger gene pool. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> and I, I kind of agree with that. But like, just for instance, you know, I wanted uh, when we addressed a lot of the, the different feels people have, if someone tells me they feel like they're a wolf, do I believe, should I tell, you know, should I not should i uh withhold saying no motherfucker you're not a wolf you're a you're a human being you're a primate and this is what you, you're a homo sapien just because he feels that he should be a wolf well i think that so you're talking about um something completely different than trans you're talking like trans species at that point well i'm talking about other kin but that's i a I, know, I know i know what you're talking bag. about but so uh so that's a, again, like we said, a whole another bag of fucking tricks. Yeah, but um, do I do I sit there and validate his feelings versus the objective facts? Well, to me, to be honest, that goes back to our other previous discussion about emotional and psychological maturity. Uh, I would feel that they do not have um, realistic or um, ideal emotional uh, coping mechanisms to deal with how their life is. You know, they're essentially in this pretend world where they need, they feel like they need to pretend to be a wolf or a dragon or some other kind of species to get through life. Right. And so, and it comes twofold. So going back to what we're talking about here, when it talk about freedom of speech and I, I equate freedom of speech with freedom of expression, right? You're allowed to freely express yourself and freely speak your mind. However, comma, this goes, it's a double-edged sword because you are able to express yourself should not negate someone else being able to express theirs and, and vice versa, you know, same thing with speech. So when we talk about freedom of speech and why is it important is because the best way to beat bad ideas is to let them be heard, right? We don't want, I, like I, I constantly say, I don't want a covert racist running around. I want the races that I know who, you know, if he, if someone's racist, I'd rather know that up front and let him voice his opinions. Um, and the best way to deal with that is to allow me to voice mine. Because given the, the, the examples we had, not, a, not one racist, white supremacist, Klan member or whatever bigot has ever, ever converted or changed their mind on their position through violence and censorship. I agree, and there's a actually a um, a Mark Twain quote that uh, that sums it up very beautifully, and that uh, essentially um, travel is fatal to ignorance and bigotry. Yeah, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get it more modern. Yeah, I'm gonna go Game of Thrones on them. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, when you silence someone, you're not you're not showing people that that person is you know that. That person is wrong. You're showing that you're afraid of what they have to say. Com com completely true. However, that's kind of like the reaction to it. But w if you're the the bigot and the racist in this scenario, mm -hmm. and you go out of your initial social cir circle, let's say in the middle of Kentucky or you know wherever that's the stereotypical uh, haven for the KKK and white supremacy, if you go out into the world into you know, anywhere really like New York or California or Texas or even into Europe and things like that. The more you travel, the more you understand that people are people. People are people in different ways and you, you start appreciating you start appreciating their differences. 
you know, and like I said, we're we're both, you know, one of the blessings we have. Why did I say blessings? I don't know. Yeah, because it's a blessing that we're able to travel as much we as we travel do. Because as there's not many yeah. people that can do what we do. You know, we can, to be honest, we can be in several different countries within the hour. Yeah, and 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 plus we've been many 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 more. And you know, I know this is you know we come from different background and. I'm the more uh, sexier of the uh, two of us. Well, that's objective, sir. No, that's that's demonstrable. But <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I, I've been I've been literally literally doing this all my life, and you've been doing this most of your adult life. And from that, we've we've you you start gaining different perspectives of the world, and and the people in it. And granted, you know. And we should express, you know, is is a great thing to express that, and and to to stifle someone's ignorance because that's what we see. What we see a lot of times, you know, when we we deal with like white supremacy, racism, and you know, um, or even misogyny and sexism like that, is we we conf- we're dealing with a lot of people's ignorance. And when you allow them, when you the best way to teach someone is that is when they you know you let them express their ignorance. You you find a way to show them, or or not even them, just them. You know, I always say this too, especially when I get into my lot of uh, arguments online and social media. I often say I don't always argue to change the other person's uh, mind. I also I also argue to change the audience's mind, like the sh- the show. Well, not to change it, but the, to show another perspective. Yep, the people in the comment section that are going to read the. We're going to read it, and and yeah. and that's happened a lot, you know, to a lot of people. I've I've been in a lot of argument, and you know, I have I do this mainly as a recreational tool. I like getting a lot of arguments on on social media. And there's times I've changed my viewpoint on certain things, and there's been more times where I've changed not just the person I'm arguing with, but the people who are spectating. But again, um, I highly doubt, because I know you pretty well, uh, that you do not change your mind based off of emotional responses. No. You base your uh, you base your, uh, your opinions off of evidence and actual... Mm-hmm. Scientific st- uh, statistics or facts, or, uh, dem- demonstrable uh, you know. and empirical evidence. I always tell people like, it, um, and I'm gonna steal a line from a, another person. Uh, he'll probably never hear this podcast, but I'm gonna steal it. Like, I I always you know a, a word I use a lot is is demonstrable evidence. You have to demonstrate it because if you can't show it, you don't know it. A lot, and, and I'm very big on that. I harp on that a lot because a lot of times when you start challenge people what what they actually know versus what they think they know or they emotionally feel, mm-hmm. that's when you get the biggest you know introspective look at their views. Because they'll sit there and you know, and and I do it for myself all the time. Like you know, one of the things. Peterson said here that I wholeheartedly believe in is that you should be able to challenge someone else's views and you should do that with the risk of offending them. Absolutely. But how, and and I'll bring this back, offense is always taken, not not given. given. So if you're able to have a quote unquote controversial discussion uh, of two completely different ideologies or two completely different opinions about Mm -hmm. each other, Uh, if you can have a um, an actual conversation and debate the ideas and everything, that is a constructive um, that is a constructive dialogue. And if you can take something away from that and leave, you know, uh, leave in a happy stance and not be uh, upset, adversarial, the, uh, yeah, adversarial. Well, like to that. the point where you don't hate each other, and and I think we showed that. You know, we we had a taste of that here recently mm-hmm. when we engaged with uh, someone who was 
um, ideologically um, opposed to us, and we had a very productive, very inspiring conversation, and then came back the next day and was still, we were still friends. You know, there was no, you know, animosity. It was like, it oh. was like, okay, there was points that were raised on both sides that we need to go back and look at, and and it was a great, it was a great discussion. Absolutely, and I feel like in in any two opposing arguments, there's always the gray area. There's always the area that both are that both individuals are going to agree on, and if they can, um, if they can agree on those topics, then they have a lot more in common than they think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a lot of times people have more common ground than they than they realize. So the, some of the things that, uh, that we have to always remember going forward is that that um, discussion, open discussion, full discussion is better than um, ad hominem attacks, labels, thrown around, and censorship. So uh, that's where we're going to leave it out at this time. So yeah. uh, we want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in to the, uh, to the podcast. And uh, we would love to hear your comments down below. Uh, trust me, I love engaging with people on social media, especially YouTube. So uh, if you have anything you want to say or critiques, um, I look forward to hearing from you. Also, if you have any uh, drinks or cocktails or uh, anything that you want us to consume in the beginning of a podcast, uh, let us know and uh, we'll see what we can do about that because we are uh, highly functioning drunks. Highly. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs>